0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Reverse chronological <sighs> screams as his voice cracks like puberty's come a second time. Lightning round Monday. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome to our recorded and live viewers. I am Dan Bespris, and this is a sports Ethos presentation. I'm at Dan Besbris on Twitter at D A N B E S B R I S Sports. Ethos is well. There's an umbrella account that's just at Sports Ethos. The uh, Twitter feed for the news is at Ethos Fantasy B K. And I got a bee in my bonnet and a bug up my butt that I want to get that one to 10,000 Twitter follows before the end of the year. It really needs to be the fact that it's not is is extraordinarily upsetting because those guys are grinding out nba news with analysis every day. You guys need to be following those that feed. It's really it's it's mandatory at this point. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on promo here at the front end cuz we got a lot to cover. We're going to be going through the weekend and resetting all 30 teams. That's the way these Monday shows go. I think at this point we're in what? Week 16 now. I wait is this week 16 or is it week 17? It doesn't actually matter, but it is, uh, it's 16. It's week 16. We're really coming down the stretch in head-to-head leagues, which is kind of crazy considering it sort of feels like basketball just started. Roto, you're a little bit farther from the finish line, uh, mostly because it's you know there's 40% of the season left, basically, you know, game and time-wise. But with head-to-head, you chop off the last... You know, 10% for silly season, you chop off another 15% for playoffs, so you're, all you know, you're to 5-10% away from it. Uh, But you guys know this, if you're watching this show and you're in a head-to-head league, you know you're coming up on the playoffs. If you're in a roto league, you know you have a little bit more time to make those tweaks and and make your little run. So let's start chatting about the box scores. We're going to do Sunday, Saturday, and then if anybody didn't play over the weekend, we're going to look at Friday And and, you know, with a confusing grin figure out which teams didn't go Saturday and Sunday. I've stopped going full reverse. That was really kind of gimmicky, and uh, it was confusing me. So let's just start at the beginning on Sunday. We'll work our way through. Miami, not a good loss. At Charlotte, they led this game most of the way through, but the Hornets caught fire, and the surge is on for Terry Rozier. All of those buy lows. We just kept saying, buy low, buy low. By low, over and over and over again. And it's finally working. Terry Rozier, now, believe it or not, is actually inside the top 100 on a per-game basis. He's number 93. He's still shooting only 41.5% from the field. He's still only at one on-the-nose steal per ball game. So the climb continues. And more than anything, and this is the fun part, over the last month, Rozier is inside the top 30. So he's cruising now, and it's lasted a full 15 games. You know, I I hate to try to, like, you know, to use the the a very dated reference. I hate to roll out the mission accomplished banner already because there's still a lot of season left, and Terry could go back to being awful again. But it really does feel like we caught this here, and now you ride the wave. Gordon Hayward had his best game of the year. 20 points on a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven shooting. 3-3 three of three at the foul line. He didn't turn the ball over. I don't know. Is this the start of maybe Hayward trying to starting to play a little bit better? It's a possibility. He's been awful this season. Not startable up until basically this ball game. So, I'm hesitant to say that this is the a magical turnaround for him, but it was nice to see a, an actual efficient ball game. He's probably not on waiver wires because everybody's been adding him on name value alone and letting him ruin their fantasy team. So those clubs now might be able to enjoy what could be perhaps the start of a better stretch for Hayward. But I guess we'll see because, you know, trade deadline coming and uh, Charlotte's not very good. They're at the bottom. Well, they're, what, a game and a half, two games up on the Pistons for the worst record in the Eastern Conference. They're a solid nine games out of a play in and separated by four teams. It ain't happening. So guys like Hayward, even Rozier, actually, uh, there's a lot of risk associated with having them on a head-to-head team down the stretch. Mark Williams got 20 minutes, and if you could even guarantee me 20 minutes out of him, I'd probably make him an ad. It just it doesn't happen every ballgame. The units he was a part of were the ones that were winning this ballgame for Charlotte, so he did kind of squeeze out an extra four minutes over the usual fare. He's an interesting trade deadline stash, Maybe the most interesting trade deadline stash because if Plumlee moves, even if they play Nick Richards a bit, it it feels like Williams is going to have to be a part of it. And we're probably close enough to just play him for the next 10 days. Even if you only get like top 150 production out of Williams between now and the deadline, it does feel like we're close enough that he makes sense as a trade deadline stash. I think I I would probably call him that at this point. On the Miami side, Kyle Lowry salvaged this one a little bit. It was a really bad game. It still was kind of a bad ball game, but 11-4-5 with a couple of threes isn't the worst thing in the world. He didn't shoot the ball well, just 3-for-11 from the field. He's in one of his slumps. I'm not dropping Kyle Lowry. I do think the team is kind of figuring out how to look when they're fully healthy. I'm also hanging on to Victor Oladipo a bit longer. Both of those guys got 30-plus minutes, and that should, in general be enough, but neither one of them shot the ball well at all, and at least with Oladipo, he kind of floated it with some steals, Lowry floated it with some threes and a a handful of assists, kind of the same sort of story. I'm holding both of those guys for now. Memphis came back to beat Indiana 112-100. Brandon Clark was in brutal foul trouble, but he is a monster filling in for Steven Adams, so make sure he's not on a waiver wire. On the Indiana side, it sounds like Tyrese Halliburton, as I mentioned during a little pre-show chat over on the live side... Is trying to be back by the end of this week. Indiana has a strange schedule; they don't play Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and then they go Thursday, Friday, Sunday to close out the week with kind of a flurry of ball games. Halliburton, well, look, T.J. McConnell had a bad one, but he's been so incredible lately that you you kind of have to just sort of say, "Ah, well." Do I hold on to these guys on the head-to-head side? It's tough, man. When you figure you could squeeze at least two games. Yeah, it would only be two. There are a lot of guys that go twice the first three days this week, and Indiana goes zero. So, you know, with a move, you might be able to front load your your streaming slot a little bit. On the Roto side, I'm hanging on, because let's say Halliburton doesn't come back on Thursday. I would still want to play McConnell outside of this ballgame, and you have to take them all together because they're all part of a package deal. But he's been like a top 50 fill-in point guard in Indy while Halliburton's been down. You got to hold those guys on a games cap side until they absolutely positively cannot do any more. Miles Turner was in foul trouble, so that's why you got more Isaiah Jackson. I'd love to say he's a deadline stash, but I don't think Miles is going anywhere, so probably not. Chris Duarte had been a, a popular pickup. He might be a schedule stream type of guy as you get towards the end of the week, but that's about as far as I'd go there. Cleveland beat the Clippers, the zombie Clippers. Not a whole lot to take out of this ballgame. Donovan Mitchell came back. They'll, you know, their starters only had to play 20-some-odd minutes. This game was over early. Just throw this one in the dumpster. You can also throw Karis LeVert in a little bit of the fantasy dumpster because now with Donovan Mitchell back, he's not going to get to do very much. And no, you're not adding Jiddy Osmond. 29 points is great on 13 shots. It's crazy, but it ain't happening again. A lot of this had to do with just getting hot and then also... The crazy blowout. So, yeah, move along. Nothing to see here. Milwaukee, also a blowout. 135-110 over the Pelicans. I was watching Chris Middleton more than anything else in this ball game. He played 17 and a half minutes. He was probably on about an 18-minute cap, if I had to guess, which is up from the 14 and then 16. I'd like to see his minutes cap raise a little bit quicker. They're being extremely cautious with him and shouldn't be to anybody's surprise that they're doing so. And you can't really start him until he gets up to about 23, 24 minutes. So just keep sitting on Middleton. He's only been back for a week. It feels like longer, but it's only been a week. I think by the end of this week, we'll probably be getting to a startable place for him. But don't rush it on that Roto Games cap side. And then with head-to-head, you're starting him and you're just kind of hoping that he can mash out a bunch of stats in 18 to 20 minutes of ballgame. game. And what he has done is as he continues to slowly ramp up and take extra shots and pull usage away from the more fringy guys is those guys are no longer more than a schedule stream. Ingles, who doesn't play in back-to-back, so that's hard to make a schedule stream. Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, these guys, you just use them when the Bucks have a bunch of games in a row. For New Orleans, this is kind of, at least in my estimation, a little bit of a last hurrah for the fringe guys because Brandon Ingram was sitting out the back-to-back. The Pelicans... I'm trying to remember if they have an upcoming back-to-back. I can check that while we're doing the show just to sort of you look out in front of it. They do. They have one Saturday-Sunday, actually, coming up later on this week. They play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So you can maybe try to game that out. If Ingram plays in the first half of that but sits the second half of that, then you've know, then you've got an opportunity to maybe stream like a Trey Murphy when Ingram sits. But it's it's asking a lot to try to squeeze that out. Uh, I don't know that these guys are even schedule stream territory with Ingram back in the lineup. We saw that they just really didn't get to do very much when Brandon's back. At some point, Zion's going to come back. We're not worrying about that just yet. Alvarado had a good ball game for New Orleans, but that was because CJ McCollum was out. That very much kind of a different situation than whatever's going on in the wings. Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. But I kind of talked in circles a bit there, so let me just try to pare it down for you. I've basically dropped every New Orleans fringe wing with now Ingram back in the mix. And you know, as you get towards the weekend and whatever they're back-to-backs, if you want to explore that, you can go ahead. I, to me, it just feels like kind of more work than it's worth let's turn the clock back to saturday it was only a four game sunday The nba i think trying to dodge the nfl a little bit because it was a uh, the conference championship weekend in football they're now off for a couple of weeks uh prior to the super bowl although the is the pro bowl in between or did they move that after now i can't remember i don't i don't pay attention to the nfl let's go to saturday Philly-Denver, this was a fun one. Jokic and Embiid duking it out. Joel Embiid was a monster in this game. Uh, P.J. Tucker did a pretty good job defending Nikola Jokic. And this is one of those ones where, you know, to me, I was watching this game and thinking, Jokic has got to just go. He always wants to pass first. And to his credit, it's made him one of, if not the the most important player in the NBA. He's uh, he's obviously top three in that regard. But there are some games, and this was one of them, where they needed him to just go get buckets. Don't let the other guys do it down the stretch. Now, to the Nuggets' credit, they always shoot the ball well, but they just became slightly less efficient down the stretch. And a lot of that was Jokic not being willing to just go dominate P.J. Tucker. That's more of a reality thing than a fantasy thing. It was still a fun ball game. Nuggets uh, start the starters now that everybody's back. Um, Philly, it's kind of a similar thing with the exception of Tuck. Well, no, Tyrese Maxey's coming off the bench for that club. DeAnthony Melton's minutes were lower in this one. Uh, Philly needed to go a little bit larger to deal with Embiid, so Melton only played 23 minutes, but he actually still did enough fantasy-wise to remain on rosters. I'm holding On Melton for now. Embiid is questionable, by the way, with foot soreness, and it might be the case in almost every game the rest of the year. When he sits, we know that Melton gets to do enough. So to me, there's just more than enough reasons to hold on to DeAnthony Melton. I wouldn't move off that valuation unless something pretty consequential happened. Brooklyn beat the Knicks. Uh, I think this was a comeback win, too. I'm trying to... Can we remember as far back as Saturday on games that we watched? Nothing really to take home. Jericho Sims played 27 minutes, which he just—he does so little when he's out there. That—that's a long reach if you want that big man stream. I still feel like Emmanuel Quickly is the guy that, if the Knicks ever go smaller, even for a couple of minutes, he would be the dude to win out. But right now, I don't know that any of them is—is is more than a schedule play. Quentin Grimes has fallen back into a schedule play as well. And with Brooklyn, you've got, got a lot of guys that are sort of schedule play level. Royce O'Neill is a good one. Joe Harris, Seth Curry are a little bit less reliable schedule plays. There was no Ben Simmons for this game, so uh, all of those dudes got to do a little bit more than usual. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of stream-level guys for 12-teamers popping up right now. Chicago beat Orlando in a blowout. The Bulls are really hard to read. They're three games under five hundred. Sometimes they smoke these bad teams. Sometimes they just don't pay attention and lose to the bad teams. They're not that horrible on the road, which is kind of weird. They're not as good at home as a lot of teams, which is also a little bit weird. Not as strange as the Knicks being a way better road team than home, but a little bit odd regardless. Patrick Williams, Alex Caruso, both those guys continue to just be right on the border, which, of course, makes them... Schedule plays. What about Orlando? Cole Anthony, I've been maybe a little bit too hard on Cole Anthony. I do think he's a schedule play, and this is one of the— he had a better ball game here, so that worked. He got some bonus run because the Orlando starters were getting steamrolled by the Bulls starters. Most of those guys just didn't really get to play very much. Mo Wagner, same kind of story. He was better. He was in a better unit, one that at least, like, didn't really lose the minutes they were on the floor. Bol Bol even got a few extra minutes, but I don't really care about that. Jonathan Isaac is the guy you're watching on Orlando. This, again, we're a full week into his ramp up, and he's gone uh, nine minutes, nine minutes, or nine minutes and a rest day, and then nine minutes and another nine or something like that. Uh, But they're really bringing him along slowly. My guess is that this week they try to push him up and over 10, but... I mean, I told you guys, you like this could be a three, four-week ramp-up with him to get to even around 20 minutes of ballgame. And that's why I said games cap format only. You're treating him like he's still injured, basically, while watching to see if he looks pretty good. And he does, actually. He generally looks okay when he's out on the floor, but they're just not going to push it. Ah, the Rockets. This was truly a tank battle, if ever we've seen one. And Detroit uh, won the tank... Houston lost the tank, which is fine because uh, Pistons are thirteen and thirty-eight. Rockets are twelve and thirty-eight. Those teams are going to lose plenty of games the rest of the way. The real question is, will the Spurs or the Hornets be the third worst team to get those those terrible odds? That I don't know. But the way that Detroit managed to tank this game effectively was by not playing their starters very much, other than Boyan Bogdanovich, who maybe was out there like, no, 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 you're not going to sit me down. I'm, I'm I'm doing this thing, guys. But the rest of the starters only played 25, 26 minutes. I think those guys see more minutes in a game that's less winnable for the Pistons. They really wanted to make sure that they lost this game to Houston because that's like a that's a big jump for them in the tank battle. Houston... It feels like needed a little bit of good news more for whatever that's worth. They had only won 11 games to this point. Even the Pistons had won 12 or a 13 even to this point. Uh, still no Kevin Porter Jr. Alpern Shengun was out with an illness in this ballgame. So Tari Eason and uh, Daishan Nix got the start. And, uh, I mean, this is what we talked about with Eason. If he can get 25 minutes or more consistently, he has a fantastic fantasy profile. Points, boards, some threes, good defensive stats, percentages that aren't that bad for a young dude. A ton to like about Eason, fantasy-wise. The problem, of course, is that Kevin Porter Jr. coming back, he's going to try to take his 20 shots. Alperen Chengun coming back, he's going to run the offense, which, you know, admittedly, they've looked better with Shangun as more of a focal point on the offensive side, but they got to find a way to get Eason in the mix. What we're seeing, however, is that he's not that far away from being there. Meaning, could K.J. Martin get moved to the deadline? Maybe. Could Eric Gordon get moved to the deadline? I would assume he is, actually. And is there maybe a push internally to give Eason more playing time without guys getting out of his way? That occurs... As you get more towards the silly season, Eason and Mark Williams are unquestionably the two guys I'm looking at as trade deadline stashes for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a possibility that they get an elevation based on stuff that happens at the deadline. We know Charlotte is going to be a seller. We know Houston is going to be a seller. We don't know how much or how little they do it, but we know that they're going to be trying to unload pieces for Charlotte. On the Mark Williams front, it's really more of a one-to-one thing. If Mason Plumlee gets out of the way, Mark Williams is going to have some fantasy value. We just don't know exactly how many minutes he's going to play. And if it gets split up with a guy like Nick Richards. With Houston, it's a little bit more nebulous because it does seem like a front court player needs to be out for Eason to see the minutes he deserves. Meaning, just Kevin Porter Jr. being out wouldn't have been enough. That was more, we'll go a little small, but KJ Martin gets into the lineup. Big guys being out. Jabari Smith Jr., who's been playing power forward this year, Alpern Sengun, in the center, when those guys have missed games, that's when Eason's been able to slide in. Those dudes probably aren't getting out of the way. But what you might see is Gordon gets moved. That opens up a backcourt slot where that would normally get filled by KJ Martin. But perhaps if he or maybe Jay Sean Tate also gets moved, they just play a little bigger. And instead of maybe Tate going from 20 to 33 minutes, maybe he plays like 24 minutes, and they slide everybody down a slot. And Eason plays it small forward, or Jabari Smith plays it small forward, and those guys become the front court together. It's doable. Is it probable? Mm, I wouldn't say yes. It's not easy to move two guys and get the kind of value back that you want for it, but, I mean, Rockets, I feel like, are almost definitely going to move one. If they don't move one, that's just, that's GM malpractice. You've, you've held on to your assets long enough to try to drive up whatever nonsensical value you think they might have. Now you got to get something. Clippers. Uh, we didn't talk about their game on Sunday because they rested everyone, so we might as well talk about this one. This is what they look like when the stars are in. PG, Kawhi, Ivica, Zubots are the only three dudes I'm starting on that team in Roto. Uh, in head-to-head... Guys like Batum, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, maybe even Luke Kennard, Norman Powell, all of those guys are playable on the, the schedule stream side. I thought Norm would be better when the whole team was getting sat, but they were so terrible overall that you know they just felt like there wasn't really a reason to push him. I'm also interested in what Rob Covington looks like when he comes back. I believe he's out for personal reasons, uh, but I probably should check myself on that before I say it. He's looked really interesting lately, which you guys know me. I've got a sort of a perma soft spot for Covington. And, you know, he's shown with the Clippers that he can put up fantasy value in 20 minutes, which has kind of been what he's been getting lately. 21-19-21, the three games before he took off the back-to-back due to whatever's going on in his personal life. Was it a kid? I don't remember. Um, and in those three ball games, he had four steals and eight blocks and six three-pointers. It almost doesn't matter what else he does, but he did also have 19—16 rebounds, excuse me. So that's that alone is kind of enough to float it, and he's widely available in fantasy leagues. I'm not picking him up. I'm just saying keep an eye on it. For Atlanta, uh, Trey Young is dealing with some ankle stuff. Hopefully he plays through it. That's a team that actually kind of needs to have their guys in— They're the 8 seed. They have a a game-and-a-half lead on the play-in tournament and a two-game lead on actually uh, being out of it. Um, It would surprise me a little bit if Trey took a game off just for rest. But if he takes it off because he's actually hurt, I guess that makes a little bit more sense. They're in Portland. That's a winnable game. Then they go to Phoenix on Wednesday, Utah on Friday. That Utah-Denver back-to-back towards the end of the week feels more like the spot that someone would just get a rest day for Atlanta, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich cooled back off again here. DeAndre Hunter coming back from his asthma attack was uh, a big reason why. Uh, Bogey I think, is probably settling more into a schedule stream zone. I thought he might be able to hang out near the edge of the top 100, um, but he just isn't doing enough right now. And I'm willing to say that I probably overgraded him a tad over the last two weeks, thinking he was an end-of-bench starter. He's probably uh, one rung below that, meaning a a schedule play kind of guy. Not really anything to take away from Sacramento. They've hit a little bit of a mini slump here, which every team goes through it. Kings have been having a little more trouble defending of late. When the offense isn't there, they don't really have the defense to fall back on, but they're still 27-21. and 21. They're still the three-seed in the West, so uh, you know I ain't too worried about it. Minnesota, on the other hand, slow mo didn't get his defensive stats. He's still a stream as long as Cat is out. Got some questions on what to do with Jaden McDaniels. Uh, his defensive stats have fallen off here lately, but I think you got to stick with it. Again, at least as long as Carl Anthony Towns is not out there. Uh, when he comes back, maybe we can kind of reassess a little bit. But you know, defensive stats, unfortunately, they do come in waves a little bit. They're a little less predictable than scoring, rebounding. Sometimes you go through a week where you just don't get any steals or blocks, and then the next week you get six of each. And at the end of the year, you're like, oh, well, this guy, you know, he averaged one in each per ballgame. But unfortunately, it's not one in each every day. That would be a much easier way to handicap. Rudy Gobert's been playing through a sore groin lately, and with the Wolves playing better. I'd be a little surprised to see him sit out anything that's not a back to back, which I don't believe they have until uh, the middle of next week, right before the trade deadline. So uh, I don't think he's going to miss a ball game. Oh, here's one that brings me joy Phoenix. And I know San Antonio was the opponent, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But since coming back from injury, Chris Paul is a first rounder. I know it's only a week. I know it's only a week, and I know it's not going to stick. He's not going to score 22 points a ball game as Devin Booker comes back. That's going to be the big pivot point for whether or not CP3 is taking 20 shots a night. Uh, But while he's got this level of usage, first round, and pushing his way up the boards, Chris Paul, by the way, extremely maligned this year, and I know he's missed some time. He's only played in 30 ball games, but he's number 34 on a per-game basis now. Uh, And he's still way below his career averages in field goal and free throw percent. So to me, there's still room. I don't think you're going to be able to buy on him after these three huge ball games, but old man coming. This is the big Jeremy Sohan game. 30 points. He took 25 shots uh, for San Antonio. Spurs are going to be weird. Spurs are going to be real weird down the stretch uh, because they're in tank mode. They're letting guys play right now because they're still losing ball games anyway Keldon Johnson is still out there and he's firing away he's been better lately by the way um you know overall in the year it's still been a a whopper of a disappointment but um you know he's rolling like top 80 the last month at least so consistently startable now Sohan is to me a much tougher call because we've seen he gets very few defensive stats. Which, you know, honestly, a lot like Keldon Johnson, but doesn't typically score as much. Rebounds a bit more. Both guys not great on the percentages. Both guys turn it over a little bit. Neither guy gets defensive stats. It's a tough tough road to hoe. But if they're in there taking 20 shots a game, then maybe I'll rethink it. I don't know. I'm not into Sohan yet, even after this big ball game. If I run a little late on him, I accept that as a possible outcome here. This is also an overtime contest. The thing that really surprised me was Jakob Pertl playing 33 minutes. Zach Collins only playing 19. You know, we've seen Pertl pretty much in bubble wrap lately, and then they were just like, yeah, whatever, Jakob, you go ahead. And I don't know if it was because they had an opportunity to win the ball game, uh, but they haven't all been blowouts for the Spurs lately. He just hasn't really played that much. Still, I think Jakob Pertl remains a buy. He's probably going to get traded, and he's probably going to be to a place where someone's like, here, go play 26 to 30 minutes of ballgame. Feels weird that someone would go give up, you know, probably a first to get him, and then not play him a ton. But you know, I guess anything is possible. Uh, But to me, that's why Pirtle is a buy, and Zach Collins just kind of not being super fantasy friendly is what makes him a more complicated stash at this point. Even if he does likely see a value bump headed into the All Star break. Uh, we talked about New Orleans already. Washington, hey, Kristaps Porzingis is off the injury report today. That was a delightful and unexpected treat. Although Daniel Gafford actually got downgraded to questionable. Uh, he's got the flu. So that's super annoying. My hope was that we could see... this. Uh, this is actually really... This is a huge pain in the butt, Gafford being questionable and possibly not playing... Here's why this is an enormous pain in the butt. Um, I really wanted to see what Gafford and Porzingis looked like together post-Rui Hachimura trade. Now, there's a very real chance that uh, Gafford becomes a drop as Porzingis works back into all those center minutes. But it's also possible that Porzingis squeezes a few minutes into the power forward bucket alongside Kyle Kuzma, alongside Denny Avdia, who have been doing most of the power forward time for this team. Duh, well, they're not going to scale Kuzma back, but would they scale Avdia back? Do they scale back Corey Kispert and give Avdia more of the small forward minutes? There is a little path towards Gafford still playing 24 minutes per ball game which, for him, 24 minutes gets him to about top 100, maybe a tiny bit better than that. We saw in this one, I mean, he went huge, 21-12 and with a steal in five blocks, monster game, 29 minutes. But if he doesn't play, and Porzingis does, we're not going to know. We're not going to get the answer to our can-those-guys-coexist question until middle or even later in the week. And for folks in head-to-head leagues, they probably can't wait that long on Gafford which sucks, I understand. I understand you can't sit on Gafford if he's out all week, and you don't even know if he's going to have a big job when he comes back. Roto, try to hang on, because there actually aren't that... Right now, the streamers, the number of really good injury replacement streamers has actually been kind of dropping off over the last week. So to me, it's worth it just to see, because there's a a possibility here that Gafford ends up with rest-of-season value, and you don't want to put that on the waiver wire just because we couldn't wait through a flu. Dylan Wright, uh, twenty four minutes. That's typically been enough for him lately. He didn't do as much in this ball game, but I'm going to hang on. Uh, you know, twenty two. He's been able to do it in. So twenty four or more. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the chance to see if he can hang on to his fantasy value. I don't even want to talk about this Lakers Celtics game. As a Lakers fan, I'm so irritated at how uh, the end of this ball game went. As far as fantasy goes, well, LeBron and AD are sitting out. The game tonight. They'll play likely the second half of the back to back. Lakers have the Nets and the Knicks back to back in New York. Tonight, Dennis Schroeder is going to be an easy decision. He'll do a lot. Uh, Lonnie Walker probably ends up doing a fair amount if they give him enough minutes, but it might not be ramped up fast enough. Thomas Bryant probably gets back in the mix here with Anthony Davis sitting out the ball game. And then Russ, like, you're going to get bad Russ, you're going to get good Russ, and you just pray that it's good Russ it wasn't by the way it's been bad Russ for about three games in a row they gotta move him man I know he's been helpful in just like being healthy enough to play which some of the other dudes on this Lakers team are not but they gotta move Russ and if they do uh well you know it'll depend on who comes in but it might open up some stuff for the Lakers right now when this team's healthy I'm only playing LeBron and AD for Boston, no Malcolm Brogdon in this one. Uh, no Robert Williams in this one as well. He was a late scratch. He'll be back soon. Um, Brogdon did a ton. Derek White still is able to do more while Marcus Smart is out. Those are the guys you're looking at. We knew Grant Williams would see extra time with Robert Williams out, and he didn't really – his fantasy game is just kind of sleepy, so I wouldn't worry too much about that one. And then you guys got to stop picking on my guy, Al Horford, uh, because he's not going to score – It's not his job. He's number 70 on a per-game basis, and he's just going to quietly punch along in that range. And, you know, considering you drafted him at, like, 115, that's fine. Stop being so angry about it. Utah beat Dallas. Uh, No Luka Doncic on the Dallas side, so that obviously changed things a bit for the Mavericks. One thing we are seeing, though, is that Dorian Finney-Smith is picking up the pace here. And do I think this has more to do with Luka or more to do with Christian Wood being out? It's probably the Christian Wood side of that equation uh, because they'll run him at the five a little bit. And that, to me, is good enough. I think Finney Smith has kind of elevated himself to a a one-burger injury replacement level guy. Dinwiddie doing a ton. Bullock I have trouble trusting. Tim Hardaway Jr. I have trouble trusting. I thought he would do more. I thought he would shoot more with Luka out, uh, but that hasn't really been enough for him either. Dwight Powell, no. Josh Green, more interesting. You know what? Schedule stream for Bullock, Hardway, and Green. As long as Luca's out, and then you know, change how you're viewing those guys when Doncic comes back. On the Utah side, Kelly Olynyk came back, played 15 minutes. They're going to ease him back in. He'll probably be at 18, 20 in the next ball game. I saw a lot of stuff on the internet about Olynyk coming off the bench, but that never really made any sense to me. Because he was the starter alongside Jared Vanderbilt earlier in the year. And there was kind of no reason why that wouldn't be the case alongside Walker Kessler now. The only change is that Kessler replaced Vanderbilt. Walker Kessler's a go. When Olenek gets ramped up to full speed, he's a go. And they're off for a couple of days here. So maybe they can click him up a little bit faster. I don't know. We'll see. What do they play tomorrow or the next day? It's not, not immediate. Um... Conley's a, a go right now. I, you know, he didn't take that many shots here, but the steals, the assists, they've been really nice lately. I'd like to see him get to about 10 shots per ball game, but take it or leave it. Beasley, schedule stream. Sexton, schedule stream. Vanderbilt, schedule stream. Uh, and then just, you know, with Olinic, you're sort of like an active stash here for probably about a week or so. I've been too mean to Precious Achua. He's. he's Something's different with him this year. Uh, 27 and 13, two steals and a block. He's been pretty good here filling in for OGN and Obi lately. And, you know, maybe it's just who he's on the floor with. Maybe when he fills in for a particular guy, it's better for him. Uh, But regardless, the efficiency's improved. And you can go ahead and play him as long as someone's out for this Raptors team. And it's possible the Raptors move somebody at the deadline, and then Achua might stick So, streamer with benefits, question mark? Go ahead. Fire up the Precious. I've been really cautious about him because we've seen the holes in his fantasy game. He's a good rebounder, good steals guy, but typically low field goal percent, low free throw percent, weirdly high turnovers for someone who doesn't get a ton of assists. A lot of that stuff has been improved upon. Guys get better. You can try to project it. And sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. I prefer to kind of wait and see if someone's gotten better For in a lot of situations. It kind of simplifies fantasy sports, frankly. And uh, it seems like he has. For Portland, uh, no Nurkic and no Josh Hart in this one. And Drew Eubanks kind of got run over by Toronto, a team that's willing to go small. That forced the Blazers to go a little bit smaller as well. So uh, Trendon Watford picked up. A lot of center minutes. If Nurk has to miss any more time, I think I would still play Eubanks. He's a relatively safe fill-in center. Nas Little is not a guy I'm starting for Josh Hart. Hart's value comes in his rebounding and his passing, uh, and Little's not going to do those kinds of things, and there's no usage left over after Lillard, Grant, and Simons, and Nurk some of the time anyway. Even without Nurk, there still kind of isn't enough there. And now let's play the age-old game of who didn't play over the weekend. And the answer is Oklahoma City and Golden State. Yep, those are the ones. So not a whole lot to take away from OKC. Uh, You know, you got the full roulette wheel game on Friday where Aaron Wiggins got 31 minutes because Lou Dort sat that one out. Shorts, not expected to miss a ton of time, but, you know, Wiggins is an interesting schedule stream in the very short term. Kenrich Williams would be a schedule stream with all these guys out. Jalen Williams. I want Okay, I want to address something on the Jalen Williams front. It's kind of the same thing that I was talking about uh, with Trey Murphy. People are getting the wrong impression that I'm down on these guys because I have them on my injury replacement board. That's not what that means. That's not what that board means. And I feel like I need to do this again. I did it with Trey Murphy like a month and a half ago, and I'll do it again with Jalen Williams. All it means that these guys are and were or are on an injury replacement board is that we haven't seen them post value yet. This is like something my kids learning in kindergarten. They don't, they're don't. they not allowed to say, I can't do it. They have to say, I can't do it yet. So guys, they haven't done it yet yet, but that doesn't mean they won't. Trey Murphy, wait, let's go back. He's a better example now because we've kind of seen the way this arc has gone. I put Trey Murphy on my injury replacement streamer board when Brandon Ingram went down, and I kept him there the whole time, even while lots of you, more of you on Twitter than I think than pod listeners, frankly, uh, came after me and said, we've got receipts, Dan. We've got receipts. Trey Murphy He's he's the real deal. He's going to be great when everybody's back and healthy again. And I was like, "Look, dude, I actually never said that he wasn't going to be good when the team was healthy. I just said maybe he won't because we didn't know." The Pelicans were fully healthy for 9 days in November. 9 days. And in those 9 days, I think they played four ball games and Trey Murphy was Outside the top 140, which is more of a schedule stream kind of guy, if even that. But let's just sort of liberally say you could schedule stream him. When the team was healthy, he wasn't a traditional, what you'd call nine cat play, full time play. He wasn't. He became one when Ingram went down, and then more so when Zion went down. And then he's gone through the sort of ups and downs of being a young player in the NBA. And now we're seeing that as Ingram comes back and starts to devour the usage that's been floating around out there, Trey Murphy hasn't been an obvious start. I still don't know what the answer to that question is. I don't think that we have enough data on the Pelicans getting healthy thing, but it certainly feels like when Zion comes back, if they are fully healthy, that Murphy probably won't have value at that point. I'm doing the same thing with Jalen Williams. There is a very real chance, call it, you can even call it a coin flip, 50 50, that when Alexei Pokoshevsky and Jeremiah Robinson Earl come back, if they come back, Jalen Williams doesn't have fantasy value anymore or falls back to like a schedule stream kind of play. Because that's what we saw before those guys got hurt. He was playing 30 minutes of ball game, but he wasn't getting that many shots. And he wasn't getting that many rebounds or assists. And what he got was sort of a low-end, quiet fantasy line. But when a bunch of guys went down, and he was able to play a little more free and loose, and his minutes actually ticked up even farther, and he got more active on the defensive side, the steals, the points, all of that stuff started to come up. It wasn't about minutes. It was about usage and opportunity. And He's not a high-usage guy anyway, but it was... It's a little bit higher. Sometimes you just need that little bump. But now the question is, does he hold on to it? I think with Jalen Williams, there's a higher probability than we had with Trey Murphy. Because with Trey, he was waiting on the superstar, you know, alphas of the team to come back. He wasn't going to ever keep the usage from Ingram or Zion. With Jalen Williams, he might. But it's not like Pokushevsky can come back and say, hey, those are my shots. Because Jalen Williams could be like, nah, man, like, these are mine now. Same thing with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I don't know that, you know, are either of these guys like full building blocks for the team? Jalen Williams is probably the bigger building block. So if I had to put odds on it, I would say odds are that Jalen Williams does maintain fantasy value or at least has a higher probability of doing so as his team gets healthy than Trey Murphy did. But I'm leaving them all on the injury replacement board. This is the way I operate until we actually see them do it. When their team is healthy. Because we haven't yet. There's my rant towards the end of the show. Golden State's the other one. Uh, I want to point a quiet finger at Dante DiVincenzo, who has, without a whole lot of fanfare, carved out a 30-minute bench roll for this team. Andrew Wiggins has been in and out of the lineup. That does play a role with it. But let's just keep one eye on Dante. I don't know that there will be enough minutes when Andrew Wiggins actually gets fully healthy, if he ever does. This has been a really weird, like, month and a half for Wiggins. Uh, But in the short term, DiVincenzo is bordering on value. He's a watch list guy. All right, let's take a quick look at tonight. It's a pretty fun little Monday. This is another one of those weeks where you've got, like, a half-decent card almost every single day, but no true jumbo. I like that. 8 game Monday. Orlando at Philadelphia, I am interested in Jonathan Isaac's minutes cap and then D'Anthony Melton on the Philly side. But again, if Embiid sits then meh. Lakers sitting everybody. This is a this is a one-night stand kind of stream team if you want. I got to come up with a fun fantasy name for that. The fantasy one-night stand is basically what we're working on here. But a one-night stand fantasy is something very different. Careful, Dan. Brooklyn We know what to expect with this team by now. Washington, I really would love to see Gafford play alongside Porzingis. If he doesn't go, I don't think we learn what we want to learn from this game. But it is nice that that KP appears to be ready to go. So that's very useful for a number of my fantasy teams because you guys know how heavy we went into Porzingis this season figuring he would have one of his more healthy years. And so far, knock on whatever. I know he missed some time here, but so far he has. In fact, what are we at now with Porzingis? I think he's still above league average in games played. He's at 41 right now. Uh, He's like right on league average. He's 19 per game and like five slots later by total. So he's just under, which is way better than we expected for him. San Antonio, I don't know, man. Uh, Jakob Pirtle's bubble wrap. Zach Collins, Jeremy Sohan. There's a few things to sort of... It's not like an intense watch list with the Spurs. It's sort of like a sideways glance. Sacramento, nothing. Minnesota, nothing really at this point. This is a rematch, by the way. Minnesota just beat them a couple days ago, remember. Uh, Really hard to beat the same team two times on the same floor in a row. Especially when both teams are okay. It's different when one team is trying to lose. Warriors are in Oklahoma City. This is actually going to be, I think, a pretty decent ballgame. Warriors are favored by five, and they've been playing better. They've won their last couple games in a row after kind of a cold spell. Uh, but these two teams are pretty tight. They're one-game separation in the standings. So you're going to get an all-out effort, I think, on both sides of this ballgame. But fantasy-wise, not much. Jalen Williams, Dante DiVincenzo, we just talked about those guys. Pistons are in Dallas. This uh, Dallas is favored by 8.5, which, you know, I don't know what that line tells me about Luka. Hmm. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, you know, if Lucas sits, then obviously you get more out of the guards. I do think Dorian Finney-Smith is an interesting play here. With Detroit, Killian Hayes is being kind of throttled back a little bit. He was barely a fantasy start in 9-cat prior to this. It kind of feels like they're showcasing Alec Burks. But we'll see. This is something to monitor up to the deadline. Certainly with that Detroit side. I think Jalen Duran also gets to do more here. It looked like they were trying to to sort of artificially depress stuff in that last ballgame. Toronto, uh, you know, Ochoa basically. Phoenix, not much really at this point. I think you got a pretty good feel for them as they currently stand. Devin Booker, probably not that far away anymore. Hawks, you know, whether or not Trey plays does change some of the streaming options there. <laughs> I said some of the streaming options there. That was weird. Uh, And then Portland, it's, again, just a health report. Nurk, the big one in the late game, would love to be able to get it, squeeze a game out of Drew Eubanks. They'll need him against Capella. They can't go small in that one. Uh, So that, I think, would be probably a slightly better opportunity for him. All right, that's our show. Good Monday, everyone. Hey, I want to remind everybody that is either watching or listening once again that we're doing all of these on YouTube these days. Uh, so come join us over there. That is sportsethos. We do question and answer stuff over on YouTube. So if you're listening to the traditional podcast channel, we try to get those shows up uh on YouTube. We're trying to do them near 9 a.m. Pacific time or thereabouts. It's never gonna be perfect with me uh, and all the kid stuff flying around in my life, but that's kind of where we are right now. Uh a lot of you have reached out about being a part of what we're doing here at Sports Ethos, particularly folks that want to cover a team as a podcaster in any of the four major sports, continue to reach out. That is at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow morning.